Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Chickity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal yeah! friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal yes. Sucks Podcast. That's Jesus. When I knew you were yawning before, I figured something was up. I don't yawn. He's ready to go. You missed your caffeine pills or something, man. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Metal Sucks Podcast. I'm Chuck. I'm Godless. And uh, this As is your examination all. of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, this episode, we have got some good stuff, man. Make sure, though, before we get into what we got coming up, because it's loaded. You're subscribed to iTunes. Yes. You're subscribed to us on iTunes or Stitcher or however the podcast come to you. Make sure that you uh, have got it set up so that it automatically downloads. And you can pull it up on Mondays without even having to worry about it. Come right there. It'll be great. Or you can hit us at the metalsucks.net, of course, every Monday. And that's where you can find the speak pipe thing that we got. And you can leave a message for us. Yes. And possibly make it on the show. This week, we're not going to do anything from speak pipe because we invited a different guest on this week. We've actually got like three different guests this week, which is crazy <laughs> when we had no nobody a couple weeks ago <laughs> like what the hell so we got vince nielstein coming in he's gonna tell talk to us about um some interesting trends that that have been happening lately and he's in, got an editorial coming out so in in, in metal so yeah. yeah we're gonna address that also uh one of our old-time friends stavros giannopoulos <laughs> is going to tell us another story because story time with Stavros is one of our favorites. And, Absolutely. And we figure that we go ahead and throw another one of those in here before we get to house score, which is coming up next week. That's yeah. going to be stupid and insane. And of course, job for a cowboy. They've got this guy named Nick that plays bass for him. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. I'll, I'll just spell it out in the, in, in the post. Because I can't, dude. I I love you. You're but, awesome, but d- man, dude, this was a. You know, it's sometimes you can walk into an interview and and I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, geez, I don't know what we can make of this. I got to admit, with this one, I was like, geez, it's a bass player, and you know how I feel about bass players and, and bass players generally. And this ended up being a monster. I know. He's a lot of fun, man. He really is. Oh. So did it change your mind about bass players? Absolutely not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, eh, no, I don't think you know, nah. he didn't influence you in any way. But no. cool you know, dude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really nice guy. Nick is awesome. investing man, so. in two more strings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then you become like periphery. And then, that, and, you know, that's. That's no, another beast. Nobody can play that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus. Well, this dude might be hell to do it. Actually, I mean, might. Yeah, yeah, that's entirely possible, man. We got to talk about this post right. about about the no no platinum albums being sold this year. I think that is one of the most fascinating things that that has been uh, parsed out of album sales in quite some time because it's it, it can mean so many different things to so many different people. We were talking about the consequences to radio. We we're talking about the consequences to the internet to like Pandora to uh, anywhere that you can get music and how you consume music, whether it's iTunes or whatever, there's so many different consequences to it. It seems like everybody's going to have to have some kind of opinion on it. And if it's not free music, nobody gives a shit. They just want free music. Right. So Vince, you got yeah. an editorial that you're doing this week. Uh, what, what, what's your take on all this? Well, there's really a lot of info in there. You know, there's a lot of different stats and metrics. Um, but one of the first things that I noticed is there, this Billboard article quotes um, 
Beyonce, I think, and a couple other artists. Uh, I can't remember who, but I remember Beyonce. They said that her album, which actually technically came out at the end of 2013, so you know it's not necessarily qualified for 2014 numbers, but I think they said it sold like 700 and something thousand copies, which isn't that many, you know, and especially when you compare that to say what the biggest of the big metal bands are selling. Uh, like I say, Lamb of God, Kill Switch Engage, Five Finger Death Punch, Avenged Sevenfold, your favorite band. Uh, yeah. Those bands are selling 200 to 300,000 on an album, which is, you know, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy because it's not that far off from what Beyonce is doing. Um, yet, you go into, I'm sure, any home in America and you ask the inhabitants who, you know, have you heard of Beyonce? Yes. Have you heard of Kill Switch Engage. No. You know, and like there's there's just this this disconnect there. It is a broader audience. There's more people consuming music or they're consuming more artists. Like they're there's just more artists that seem to be out there and but album sales are down all the way around. Does it mean like death for pop music and then the, it's the same thing for metal? It seems like the 200,000 mark, the 300,000 mark, if you're not a, a Slipknot, a Metallica, a Korn, or somebody like that who's been double, triple, quadruple platinum in the past, you're not going to sell more than like a quarter of a million albums. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, fir- the first thing you said, especially, um, I-, I think really that pop music in a way has become a niche in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's sure it's on the radio and metal isn't for the most part. Of course, there's some, uh, some stuff in you know, your show, but, uh, you know, for, for most people, they're not going to hear any metal on the radio. Uh, and pop has really become its own niche. It's, it's really kind of a bizarre thing to say because the, the meaning of the word pop is popular, but, it's it's sort of not anymore. Um, and there was another interesting stat in the in the report, which was that indie labels now occupy a larger share of the market than they than they did at this time last year, um, or maybe ever. I'm not sure. Um, but it was one of the only positives in there. You know, I think that speaks to the fact that this environment where people can discover exactly what it is that they want on the internet uh, really allows for more music and, and allows for more fans to discover that music. You know, cause you would still think that album sales, if that was the case, people are still buying music some way or another, whether it's indie label or large label, you'd figure the sound scan numbers wouldn't be so far off. You would still have something close to or akin to, you'd still have a, or they'd be flat or maybe a little bit down, but it seems like, we've been talking for a decade, two decades almost about how album sales have slipped and slipped and slipped and slipped. And granted in that conversation, we've talked about single sales going up with iTunes and being able to buy single songs versus buying albums. So it seems like there's still something going on with people, not like like people getting out of the market or they just not buying albums anymore. They're consuming it on Pandora, Pandora or Spotify. The same with every genre. Well, no, and that's what I'm saying. It's a, like across the board, not yeah. just metal. But then, but, are you trying to say that like like there's there's five uh, Beyonce fans for every one that actually bought the album, but there's only two Avenged Sevenfold fans. Thank goodness for everyone who bought that album. But what I'm saying, well, what I'm saying is, is that Beyonce though, somebody like that, a pop record, that person can go to the radio 
They can go to Pandora. They can go to Spotify. So they, they can don't flip need on, the sales. They can flip on their cable music choice or whatever, and 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 bam, they can throw on the Beyonce channel and watch nothing but Beyonce videos. But all that's so they can to, consume it in a different way without buying records. But all that's supposed to be all about marketing to sell those albums, is it? Or, yeah, there you go, Vince. Is this because the major labels have figured out how to make money other ways? Well, uh, yeah, certainly they have. Um, but I, I mean, I think the truth is, is that people are streaming more instead of buying. And yes, the, the amount of income that comes from those sources is way lower. I think people are streaming on Spotify, they're streaming on Pandora, and the big elephant in the room that no one really wants to talk about is that they're streaming on YouTube, which is a, just a, a, a cesspool of piracy. Oh yeah. That's how I was listening to one of the albums or a band that we're interviewing, uh, uh, coming up in a week or two, I spent all day re-listening to a mix that some fan who was kind enough to put in there, I do not own this content on the every single YouTube page. Sounded the same to me. Right. Um, you know, but I, I've heard that YouTube has some big changes coming down the line. I don't know exactly what they are, some kind of music streaming service. But the cool thing actually for for rights holders being bands and labels is that if your song has been uploaded to YouTube illegally, you can actually put a claim on it, and rather than just having it yanked down, which you can do, you can also, uh, you can monetize it. You can earn. Mm. Uh, so, like, yeah. you can earn back a little bit from the whatever they might have gotten from it. It doesn't quantify, like, say, if somebody listened to it and decided not to buy your record. You can't, or decide, you know, like, if they listen to it, like, eh, okay, well, that that mystery of well, buying a shitty album is gone. <laughs> You can still, uh, labels and, and bands can still make money on ad revenue from YouTube, though. True. You know, and, like, that's the thing that they don't get from Spotify, um, or maybe they get a, a small piece of it on Spotify. Uh, but I think it, it's more direct and uh, transparent with YouTube what income you're getting from ads that are sold against your music. Yeah, and I wonder if we're going to see more of that that kind of model start to creep up a little bit where you get that... You pre-sale stuff on iTunes where you can buy a song or two off a record if you buy the pre-order, and like if you, they do that kind of stuff, work, work it out with YouTube to where they can release it. I bet there's going to be a lot more of that working that working model happening here in the future. Yeah, well, iTunes is. Um, I mean, I think they're they're on the way down. Yes, you know, I, like I don't really think anyone. When they re- when people realize that the user experience of opening up Spotify or RDO and playing a song is the exact same user experience as having a file on your hard drive and playing that through iTunes, uh, people are like, well, wait a minute. Why am I bothering to, A, pay money for to download this stuff and, and own uh, a copy of, uh, you know, just some ones and zeros? And, um, and... Why would I do this? You know, why would I do something? Why would I pay more money when it's the exact same thing? It's like that <sighs> Seinfeld episode where the guy, where George wanted to return uh, the or get the books back from his ex girlfriend, and 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 Jerry's like, well, well, "You are read them? Yeah. Are you going to read them again? No. Well, then what do you need them for? It's the same thing with L, you know LPs and and CDs. If you don't need the actual physical thing there, what's the point? Yeah, but how far we come, you know, 
to think about how it used to be, and I mean, I hate to do that, you know, because that always sounds like a yeah, weird thing. Yeah, you sound thing. old. But, but, but you think about like how radio used to be as far as we don't want cassettes around because we don't want people to be able to record it and own <laughs> yeah, it exactly. and be able to play it on their right. own. Yeah. And if you play it, say it. That's and, what they used to have the stickers on the radio. Well, CDs. yeah. And now, it, you know, nobody wants, nobody cares if they own it or not. And that seems really weird to me. Dubbing music is killing music. Yeah. But it's crazy though because it, it is the same exact experience of you know like people have this attachment to owning something, whether it's a vinyl or a CD or a tape or even a file. But then when you realize that opening Spotify and pressing play is the same as opening iTunes and pressing play, regardless of whether you technically own a file or not, you know I think people are are starting to jump ship. See, uh, so you but know, you can't uh, have you can't have that argument about the desert island anymore though. I mean that. Uh, I mean, the, what are you, you going to do? You can take Spotify to the desert island. I mean, what the fuck are you going to do? You have your desert island yeah, albums are I'll gone. You have your whole five albums. I'm going to have a Spotify and a Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> I'll take that trade. <laughs> hey man, I got batteries for my Walkman. I'm ready to go. I've got, I've got my uh, Appetite for Destruction cassette, and I'm kicking it. Dude. Well, I thought it was interesting yeah, what you were saying. Phones that go over the top of your head. That's right. <laughs> Rock it. Vince, you were saying that, like, you know, the number of sales for some of the bi- biggest bands in metal are, oh, I gotta say it, kind of comparable to that of the major labels. So here's the question Is that mean that pop music is less popular, or does it mean that metal is becoming more popular, or what does that mean? Well, I think it's both. Uh, you know, I think. Um on pop music becoming less popular, I think people just have more options and more ways to discover those options. Um, and that same process feeds into metal being more popular. You know, it's so much easier now. You know, think back to, uh, I guess, 20 years ago when you would have to dub tapes and trade with guys all the way across the world and, you know, get shitty quality. And, you know, think about how difficult that was now all you have to do is go on Spotify or YouTube and just start clicking on recommended links, you know, to to discover new stuff. See, I still feel uh, like I, I still feel like metal is going to go through, like we're we're sort of in that period right before this happened to pop. Like this is happening to pop music right now. You know, this is happening in the last five years. We just watched it just explode and go away, and, explode in a bad way. Yeah, and and, and metal has kind of been hanging in there doing this, you know, 200,000, I mean, 200,000 records is not, is not a bad, not that that's, that's a pretty good showing yeah. right now. You know, and no, I remember seeing, seeing, you know, letters from Roadrunner talking about how awesome it was that Fear Factory sold 250,000 albums and, oh, it's amazing, you know, and that was in the nineties. So it's, it's like these things are still there for metal. I wonder if we're in for it later on like we're going to tail behind because i still feel like metal people are the people that want the product you know more than more than the pop people the because pop people don't give a shit about that stuff they don't need the album but metal dudes want to buy vinyl i do but you know i mean i think they still want to have the product yeah well i think you're right about that um and and one of the interesting things actually that i think axel didn't touch on in his piece was that vinyl sales are up almost 50 percent from last year um, and they they still comprise a pretty small portion of the overall pie, 
um, but uh, vinyl well, vinyl is really moving right now. Ebola is up in 2014 too. I'm not saying that's a good thing, you know. <laughs> well, it's weird. I was talking uh, to a friend of mine who owns a local record store, and he focuses on metal actually at that at that particular record store. And the one thing that vinyl the the bad thing about vinyl is for record store owners because they you know they obviously have to take up more space to stock it yeah uh, but CDs have traditionally had a buyback program so that if you get a stinker of an album and nobody buys it you can sell that back to the record company and get your money back from it as a record store owner vinyl they did away with that in the eighties mm-hmm. because everybody you know vinyl was a dead medium yeah. well now that it's coming back they're not reinstating that so if you get a shitty uh, fucking vinyl. Uh, you're never going to be able to get rid of that off your shelves as a record store owner. I thought that was a really kind of interesting twist on the vinyl. So does that mean that the sales are counting when they go out of the distributor, but not when they're being rung up at the register? No, SoundScan counts it at the, at the register. Yeah. At the register. Okay. The other thing about vinyl is I feel like it's kind of a red herring. You know, I think it's great that bands are selling vinyl and, labels are selling vinyl and record stores are selling vinyl and everyone's making money. Uh, but I think people sometimes put a little bit too much stock in it uh, and that this is going to be the great savior of the record industry. Uh, when really I think it's more of kind of like a, a footnote for the super collectors. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's good. Uh, but, you know, and the other weird thing is that I think for a lot of people, vinyl is just a souvenir. You know, yeah, like it's, it's a tchotchke. I think it's, it, ne- it never gets played. It just sits on your shelf right next to the bobblehead you know, you got at the, the Comic-Con or whatever, or the sporting event. Um, and, you know, maybe it gets taken down and passed around and ogled at a uh, party or something. But, you know, I think most people, I mean, look, I'm not going to say most people. I think a lot of people that buy vinyl uh, buy it just because it's kind of a cool thing to have. Um, and they appreciate it in almost sort of a nostalgic way. Uh, but I, I think that a lot of those people, when they listen to the actual music, they do it on their iPod or phone or on their computer. It yeah. should be counted just the same way you count, like how many koozies you sold, how many, uh, you know, uh, Avenged Sevenfold bottle openers. You know, that's where it should be counted, not as, a, as, as a an album sale. sale. Right, exactly. It's a piece of merch. Yeah. Well, I think, it, yeah. and but that's why, and that's why you get the download card with the vinyl, typically, because a lot of people won't buy it without it because they've got no means to listen to it half the time. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I think people are going to find themselves in a situation in the not too distant future where they're like, "Shit, I have a lot of vinyl that's taken up a lot of space in my house, and I never touch it." <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think there's there's going to be a tipping point. I mean, I. I like I speak for myself here. I kind of just got to that myself. I'm getting into a situation where I might have to move soon and um looking at my vital collection, I'm like, "Oh man, you know, like I don't ever even look at 50% of this stuff." Yeah. At least. And it's going to be a heyday for the rest of us who've got the space for it. Yeah, <laughs> dude, you're going to do a Metal Sucks garage sale? Oh man, I have so much stuff. Yeah, like an online <laughs> garage sale. You do it through eBay or something. That'd be pretty funny pretty cool that would be funny it's too bad a few a few years ago before you guys were podcasting for us i did something like that where uh at this at this point there were still way more labels that sent us physical promos um than like now there's basically none and then all the labels pretty much did and at the same time i kind of thinned out my own personal collection a little bit just stuff i you know just stuff i had because 
somebody sent it to me, you know, and I, I, I didn't really care about it or ever listen to it. And I just posted a picture of the entire lot of stuff. You know, you couldn't really see what it, what was in it, but you could see that it was a lot of CDs, a lot of vinyl, some other miscellaneous stuff. And, um, and I said, I would like to barter you for something interesting. Uh, I don't want money, you know, email me with some interesting offers. And um, what I ended up with was a stuffed duck and a stuffed bobcat that now um, <laughs> <laughs> sit proudly in the Vince division of the Metal Sucks Mansion. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, can I ask you a quick question? How does that, how do these numbers about, you know, nobody hitting a million, how does that sort of impact who you're, you're thinking about when you're thinking about who you're going to write about on the site and all that sort of thing? Is there any sort of pessimism that comes about in regards to what artists you're choosing to write about as far as content's concerned? Well, most of the bands that we cover <laughs> don't even sell 10,000 records. Um, you know, so I mean, no, I would say that's not really ever a thought. Um, I, you know, I, I guess some of the bands that tend to be the bigger ones are ones that we don't enjoy, like I guess Five Finger Death Punch would be one. Um, but I mean, that doesn't really factor into the equation. You know, I mean, we've always just posted about what we wanted to post about. I'm trying to think of like, what are the takeaways out of this whole thing? You know, it's like a, the direction we think this is headed or what is going to happen next. Cause I mean, that's the, it's all about the, man, I've told you so many times what's happening next and nobody's going to, nobody will listen to me. What, well, what's going to happen next? What, you what are the too, man, find a company that'll buy your album and put it out for free for you. That's it. Done. Co-op. Yeah. That sort of for metal. I mean, I guess Scion was doing some of that. Yeah. But not, they're not anymore. They should be. I don't know why they stopped. Well, yeah. you know, well, you know, maybe I mean, we'll have some Monster Energy drink or, um, you know, somebody, well, Red Bull's paying off everybody else for other stuff. But, you know, there's, I wonder if there's other, if that marketing tool is going to be used in the metal, metal world here in the future. Because, I mean, you know, I, we're going to see it. Yeah, I mean, I think if YouTube cracks down and, you know, some of these other uh, places that exist, you know, this digital technology increases the ability to crack down on it. Or if they increases. Get, like, the performance rights royalties that go up and yeah, stuff for Spotify internet. will eventually go to bands and go, we want the exclusive for six months. You know, that sort of thing. And that's how you, you get paid. That may happen, certainly, um, or, or something like that. Uh, but I think the reality is that everybody involved just has to face the fact that they're going to be earning less money. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and that's the, the artists, absolutely, but also all of us, you know, the bloggers, the podcasters, the record labels, the managers, the agents. Well, not the well, podcasters. Actually, maybe not the agents. They'll be all right. Yeah, <laughs> the agents and the podcasters. Is that your way of telling us that, uh, that, that we're getting our pay cut? <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, Son sorry, guys. This is it right here. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, I always pictured Axel being the one bringing that uh, axe down. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like people act sometimes like it's sort of, you know, it's written in stone that artists deserve to be paid well for their work, you know, and certainly they, they deserve it, but that doesn't mean that they will be paid well, you know, that they will get it, um, you know, and really the only reason that artists were able to be paid well for, from, you know, let's say roughly 1950 to 2000 
is because of an inefficiency in the market. Really, that uh, the only places you could get music was at your local record store. Yeah. They had a monopoly on distribution. You know, and then once that came crumbling down with the internet, then it just opened up the playing field, and you you found out that people actually didn't think a CD was worth nineteen dollars um, or or an album. I think it's I think it's all because those dudes of the nineties said, "No, man, it's not about it's not about album sales. It's about it's about the art, man. It's about the music. That's what's really important." You know, they're and now, now everybody's paying the fucking price for it. Well, they're eating gonna... those words now mostly because that's the only thing they can afford to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's interesting. I mean, like people, I mean, look, it would be great if, if it was a world we live in that people wanted to pay tons of money for art all the time, but it's just not the world we live in. And I think what we're seeing right now is sort of a a correction back to the norm, uh, rather than, you know, uh, like people act like it's normal for, for artists to be paid well. And, you know, they were for, you know, all of our lifetimes pretty much. And before that even, but, you know, why shouldn't a band have to tour and work every day like the rest of us? You know, why, why is it that earning royalties while sitting at home is, uh, you know, is, is, is a right? You know what I mean? Like, it sounds mm-hmm. harsh, but, uh, it, you know, it's just kind of, it's reality. Well, and the yeah. same goes for, you know, Hollywood and everything else, too. I mean, well, yeah, you've I mean, seen I, a you know, big shift away from everything. It used to be that, like, you know, having a big hit record was, you know, winning the lottery. Yeah. And now it's like, there is no lottery. That means you get a job now. <laughs> yeah. and now you get to go to work. Right? Yeah, and even then, uh, it ain't gonna last, you know. Uh, but the flip side of that, I think, is that with all this technology and widespread access and uh, all the choice that the internet affords is that you have more great art than there's ever been at any time in human history. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's just a matter of finding that. And I think uh, always the truly great stuff will rise to the top. And speaking of finding it, let's get into our interview with Job for a Cowboy. Ah, they're the ones that ruined it all for us back with MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> but the new album... It sure is promising. That song was promising. It's pretty promising. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. I don't know. We'll have to see what Nick says about it here on the Metal Sucks Podcast. Hello. Hello. Is this Nick? Yeah, this is Nick. Hey, what's going on, dude? No way. It's Nick, Chuck that, and Godless from the Metal Sucks podcast. That on man. hold music is not like a track off the new Job for a Cowboy album, I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. That's the one, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the video. <laughs> <laughs> How you guys doing, dude? All right, man. How's it going, man? Not too shabby. Just uh, making some coffee so I can turn my brain on. I wanted to talk to you specifically. Like I, I hit you, uh, hit the guys up to talk to you because it's the first time my partner over here, Godless, has ever admitted to me that bass playing mattered on a metal song <laughs> was the new song from job for a cowboy. So <laughs> congratulations. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it, dude. That was uh, a, a goal of mine, you know, uh, for this <laughs> to, record. Oh, to get my admiration. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, man. I yeah. think that, you know, I specifically shot this out and when we were in the studio, I was like, how can I get this guy to care? <laughs> <laughs> We're excited for the new album. I mean, uh, all right, so, but before we get into all that, Chuck had the great point. We wanted also to talk to you because we we just don't know anything about you. 
Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's learn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So in the beginning, there was your mom and your dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Even before that, well, you know, a couple centuries ago, I was over in China in the Ming <laughs> Dynasty, and uh, I got shot in the face by this like homemade gun that this dude made, <laughs> and it was uh, it was really kind of a rough ride, and I felt like I wanted another go. So, <laughs> I, I made a con- I made a contract with my parents to come back and like you know, join this metal band and make people happy with bass. I think we got a backup for story time with Stavros. Right, right on, uh, no yeah. Where are you from? Where, where, where did you grow up? Oh, so I, I grew up in, um, uh, in the mountains in Colorado. Um, it was a little town called Evergreen. Uh, it's actually, uh, one of the, one of the guys from, if I'm not mistaken, one of the guys from South Park grew up there as well. It's a cool little town and it actually based a lot of the, the South Park characters off of, people in that town but i only lived there until i was about five or six and then uh both my parents are from wisconsin so my mom moved us back to wisconsin and then we kind of played ping pong back and forth in between wisconsin and uh colorado then i ended up staying out here um around seventh grade till till now so and then i kind of got hooked up with uh essentially you know i started playing a band um around 18 um in town and um I started this band called Ain Matter. It was like a, a really cool, fun project where it, it actually kind of fits in with the theme we even started with that. Like, I was really attracted to the way that the bass sounded. Um, you know, specifically, there was this record called LD50 from Mudvayne. Yep. It, was like the first time, it was like the first time I'd ever heard of the bass be something that mattered. You know, that it was like, whoa, this, this is really cool. This instrument can be... Um, can push the uh, kind of drive the song and, and have its own melodic identity, and it was a really flattering, you know, sound to my ear. So a buddy of mine, my drummer and I, um, you know, I've known since third grade. We're like, hey, what if we started a band where there were two bases? You know, one guy that kind of stayed low, like the kind of traditional role, and another guy that did, you know, the kind of more the role of what a guitar would do. And so we started that band and um, kind of got started getting notoriety around town, and then. Uh, through that, I got hooked up with the Cephalic Carnage guys. And then um, I've been playing with Cephalic Carnage for about eight or nine years now. And as a result of that, I got, you know, met some cats, uh, this guy Al from uh, Despised Icon. And um, we toured a couple times with Cephalic and those guys. And then I was doing some session work down in Arizona for a guy. And uh, he had uh, John Rice do the um, uh, uh, playing drums. And so they kind of heard I was slowing down touring with um, Cephalic. And uh, when Brent, the bassist from Job, left, you know, in the middle of a tour, um, John hit me up. He's like, hey, man, you want to come fill in and see what happens? And that's kind of where it all happened. All right, good. All right, we're done. All right, let's, 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 let's. Dude, when you... I was like, guys, like, we can nail that up. You know, Damn. Now. You, you got that thing down. Did uh. you ever, like, call up Brent and go... Dude, so what do I got to be wary of? Or what do I need to, like, you know, how do I fold my socks to make sure this works? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I kind of had my own my own thing kind of developed from, uh, from from playing with Cephalic. And, and the guys are really cool about that just because, you know, sometimes when you come into a new situation, you don't know how it's going to be, a thing, you know, entering a new relationship or something. And, and the guys are really cool. They're like, just do whatever you do, man. They let me write my own lines you know, kind of adapt. They were, our humor was compatible right off the bat. And it was really cool. 
Well, see, like I'm an accountant, right? So sometimes I'll walk into a new client, new gig, and the first thing that I realize is that the previous accountant was a complete doofus, and I got to undo everything they did. Did you have that when you like listened to the old <laughs> Job for a Cowboy albums where you got to go, I don't know what they were thinking, but I got to redo all of this stuff? <laughs> That's pretty good. No, I mean, um, you know, like um, the, a lot of the stuff that we play like was post- um, you know, we only played two of the songs from the first album. And, you know, Brett actually wrote some great lines. Um, I don't think he was, like, you know, the most technical player. Um, and that's okay, you know, because the guys were okay with me embellishing on his lines. And uh, I, thought, I, th- I think he did a good job, man. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I will say, you know, going around going around touring, I'll get some stories from fans. Um, and you know how that, that, that all happens. Sometimes you're having a bad day and, and somebody comes up and wants to, to talk about your music or something and you are not in the the best mood. And so it doesn't exactly equal the greatest customer satisfaction, I guess I'd say for the mm-hmm. people. So I had to do some damage control here and there with people like that guy was a dick to me. And I was like, Oh yeah, sorry about that. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I'm not that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not that guy. No, I know. So it's been cool. See, we we always worry that like you could go through like the Encyclopedia Metallum or whatever the you know all the the metal archives and like try to find the band that's had the most turnover, and then right. it, whoever that is, that one dude who's left standing in that band must be the biggest asshole in metal. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty. Pretty freaking hilarious observation. <laughs> I think um, you, you might not be that far off. <laughs> I mean, and then then I combine that with like the the observation that there's two types of people in the music business, right? There's the singer, and then there's mm-hmm. staff. <laughs> yeah, LSD, the uh, lead singer disorder. So, so are you getting <laughs> along with Johnny, or is Johnny kind of like the dictator? And as long as you can put up with it, it's cool. You know, Jay's been been really he's he's really been cool um, throughout this kind of whole thing. Um, he does, you know, he helps load, um, which is really cool. At least he load in. Um, <laughs> um, We've got to get the ladies, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> and um, he's actually been really really cool and, and really democratic um, about a lot. Of, you know, most of the decisions. Sometimes it's like it's you know obviously at this point he's the only original member left. So, uh, you know, if he's got something that he feels really strongly about, in the end, his vote, you know, he's got, he's got veto power, you know. But, um, but he, he always, is, you know, is very democratic about all the decision-making. So it's been, it's been really cool. That's going to be kind of a tough deal if you guys come up with something that you think is awesome and, and works that way, and it could be just like, bah, vote it down. <laughs> yeah, you know, he doesn't really ever do it. Usually no? if, if, you know, I mean, usually if we all agree on something, you know, um, he'll, I mean, I can only think of literally like a couple, two or three decisions where he was like, uh, 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 we can't all seem to get on this. It's only like when two of us feel one way, two of us feel the other way, you know, and then he feels a different way. Ah. Like it'll go, it'll go his way. No pink job for a cowboy shirts or anytime soon. No, I'd love her a pink <laughs> job for a cowboy shirt. Dude, do, do, do you ever like have like an idea in the back of the head of something that you want to do and you're not sure if he would agree to it? So you spend like a few weeks waking up early and going to the gym with him and just, you know, doing that sort of thing just so that you can get that idea in later. Coaxing him, buttering him up. Buttering him up. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, 
bettered it with Johnny to just hit him straight with it. You know what I mean? He's a pretty straight shooter, and uh, he's a pretty observant dude. So he's, you know, he'd probably be pretty well uh, keen on the fact that that's what you were doing, and that might even then taint the you know his ability because he could tell that you're trying to do that. You know. Now, do you feel like you that's easy for you to do as one of the newer newer additions to the band? I mean, do you, do you ever feel like your voice is not being heard, or do you get to? Are you right out one of those dudes that's like right out there with your ideas uh, all the time too? Uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, I think that takes a little bit of time. You know, when you when you first come in and you are like the brand brand new dude, you got to kind of you know pick and choose your battles of where you want to you know start. Put piping up about stuff. Yeah, but after after a couple of years, you know, after you're out on the road a couple of years, then you're like, all right, you know, if I'm dedicating my life to this, then my opinion should matter just as much as anybody else. You know, regardless of whose band it is or how long you've been in it. You know, yeah, it doesn't take um, long to get salty. Right, exactly. You know, so um, so yeah, but I mean, I feel like Johnny and I feel like uh, agree. Uh, I think the same way about a lot of the stuff. It seems to be like when there are band votes or whatever, like Johnny and I are, are usually on the same page. Who's always on the other page. <laughs> um, I, th- I think, uh, Al and I seem to kind of be on the opposite pages. Um, but you know, it's really cool. Cause he's so super democratic too. Everybody's like, you know, whatever the, the vote is, that's essentially what, you know, becomes the decision. Well, that's know, all cool, cool and good, but like I vote libertarian, you know, and, right. And, you know, it it really sucks to, like, not have my dude in there ever, you know? Sure. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Rock Paul blew it for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my faith in Rand at the moment, but I know that's going nowhere because Hillary's going to be president. Oh, man, that's <laughs> that would be three, what, three decades, three and a half decades of the same two families running the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, with one exception. And they got to look into his family history for many reasons. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> right. I'm like, man, it sounds like we, uh, there's surely there's got to be one other family we can get involved in running the country. Maybe. So real quick, all right, so with the songwriting, I always thought it was interesting about bands that are sort of the singer's thing, right, with death, in death metal, because it's like, you know, like uh, Six Feet Under, right, with Chris Barnes. Oh, he writes all the material. And I'm like, does he, doesn't he, like, just show up and go, or, or, or that's what I want it to go like? And then the rest of the band <laughs> kind of looks at each other and goes, yeah, I guess we've got to write a song. But he gets all the credit. Is that how it works with Joffrey Cowboy? No, not at all. Actually, Johnny, um, you know what? When Johnny wrote the Doom EP, like, I guess he wrote that whole that whole thing, um, which is, you know, where we've had to kind of overcome the curse of Doom as far as people actually giving us any credit as far as being a, a, a legitimate, you know, death metal band. But um, ever since then, like, I think Johnny's known that, you know, he's, his position is in being a singer, and that's where his his talent really lies and less in the uh, songwriting department. And so I feel like that's why he's kind of systematically um, replaced as, as each, all of these lineup changes have happened. He systematically replaces each member with something that's better, you know, at least from a technical standpoint than the previous guy. So um, I think he, he knows that, you know, by ending up with a higher caliber of musicians, it makes more sense to let them write the music and then his domain is the lyrics, and um, we. So it's basically like we do whatever we want with the music, and unless he absolutely hates a particular part, he stays out of of, of the of the music and the song production. 
um, until until we get into the studio, and then you know, th- then it's just micro details, and then we stay out of the lyrics, you know, which is it's kind of it's kind of a cool uh, dichotomy, I guess you'd say. So stepping up on the on the skill tree, where 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 do you fall in the skill tree? Are you at the top of the skill tree, or are you, I mean, well, I think I think I'm somewhere in the middle, yeah. trying to trying to trying to keep pace. You know what I mean? There's so many damn good kids out there that are in their basements on YouTube with like four billion plays that are like the most amazing players ever because that's all they do is sit in their basements. Screw those kids. <laughs> What's that? Screw those kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it's awesome for them. I, there's a big difference though between you know how technically proficient you are at your instrument and then your ability to put on a show and there's a whole it's like there's home playing and then there's the touring circuit. You know? Oh yeah. So I, I'd like to pick up somewhere in the middle you know. Plus, I would imagine a job for a cowboy, you have to, you know, there's like a physical fitness requirement too, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny, like a lot, a lot of the times, like, it took me about two years. It was only last year on uh, the Mayhem Fest with Mastodon and Zombie and those and that Brad tour we did that I actually, like, started working out with the dudes because I had no, nothing else to do. It was like I had this really busy schedule starting at, eight, you know, 8 in the morning or whatever, and there was like an hour that was designated that everybody would always work out and I had nothing to do then and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I was like, all right, finally going to do this. But for like two years, I would like put on the workout, you know, clothes, take some pre-workout, you know, freak out juice and then like go take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Those guys would all work out and get all huge. And I'm like, I don't know. I like sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, but that's changed now. You're, 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 yeah, you're, you're ripped. I still love sleeping. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely still sleeping. Well, I mean, hell, if you're going to do mayhem, man, you got to be in some kind of shape, dude, because out there in the middle of summer, sweating in 110 degree weather. It was freaking so hot, man. Arizona, there was a couple of stages where you couldn't, you didn't want to, like, you wanted to play faster because you're facing <laughs> the sun in Arizona. It's like 100, and, yeah, literally like 120 something degrees on the stage, and your strings would, like, burn your hands. Oh. They're getting so hot. I'd set a cold beer on top of my amp, and before the end of the song, it was, like, warm. It was, like, so hot, you didn't want to, like, step on the ground. So you just, like, tried to just kind of keep moving and play faster so you could not be touching your instrument or touching the ground. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, no, it's, yeah, we're we're in Texas, and I, I, I saw that festival at, uh, it was the racetrack, the Circuit of the Americas, and, and the, it's like they do this thing. I don't know why they do it, but... They face the day stage like toward the sun. <laughs> towards the sun. What is that? I is, have no idea why they did that. And oh. they, I mean, I guess so you can see the see the members or something. I don't know, man. That was rough <laughs> justice. I was like, dude, it's so brutal. I mean, at least make the stage white or something, man. Because I mean, all that black is just gonna be. Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think they need to do like a sideways thing because I, I bet you that they did that for the crowd. Yeah, so the yeah. crowd doesn't have to be looking in the sun. Yeah, because um, they're the ones paying, you know, but. Um, maybe do it sideways or something. I don't know. I know. I know they do that like in baseball stadiums where they put the they put the away side facing the facing the sunset. So they <laughs> so, screw you guys. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, maybe they like getting tan. You know. Yeah. Right. When you're on tour, would you rather not get stuck in a conversation at a job for a cowboy show with a crazy ex girlfriend or mm-hmm. a crazy ex member of Job for a Cowboy? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd rather I think I'd rather get in the crazy conversation with the ex member from Job for a Cowboy. Yeah, I mean, in, in particular, probably Brent. 
would be a cool conversation to get into. That's that's got the most potential to be crazy. I think so. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because it's yeah, bassist on bassist, or have you just heard stories or what? Uh, I think it's uh, you know we've heard stories like um, and you know I'm, I'm friends with Brent uh, you know on, on uh, social media and that kind of stuff and and uh, you know we comment each other's shit and he posts some, some pretty gnarly some pretty out there stuff which I'm not opposed to you know like just cool fringe you know science stuff and and, and weird shit like that but um yeah i mean he's he's a he's a special kid man he's is he kid. is he an ancient aliens kid because i had the like most ridiculous conversation yeah. last night about ancient aliens yeah i think i think he's definitely he's definitely a believer you know not you know i have you know for me i'm still looking for the more solid evidence but you know i i think that it's it's up for debate you know no, it's not up for debate. There's no evidence of ancient aliens. I don't know. I mean, you're debating like, oh, I don't know. I had this conversation last night. I'm not sure I want to retread it now with when I can spend quality time talking about bass with you. We're not talking yeah. to the faceless. We're talking to Jeff for a cowboy. Come on, man. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of interesting, uh, I guess they call them alternative archaeologists like Graham Hancock and um, you know, he wrote a book called Fingerprints of the Gods, and yeah. there's some interest. There's some really interesting stuff that you're like, uh, you know, if we can get something a little bit more empirical, or if somebody can produce hard evidence uh, to back those theories, you know, then 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 I'm interested. But in, it's interesting shit, nonetheless. Are no you you reading like, some heavy stuff? Yeah, I, like to, I read a lot, man. I like to. I'm a reader. I'll admit it. What are you reading now? Uh, right now, um, I got a, actually, there's a really cool book called, uh, How Music Works by David Byrne. Huh. Uh, like the David Byrne? Yeah. yeah, Talking Heads guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a really, really interesting read, man. He goes into all kinds of stuff about, um, uh, different approaches on music that I've ever heard anybody, I've never heard, like, these particular topics brought up. Really cool stuff like context, um, being the most important thing for how music will develop uh, like specifically like venues like the your specific music type are are built or they um we subconsciously create music for the t- size of venue um that is appropriate to the type of genre that we're playing for example you know traditionally you're you're not really ever going to see a technical death metal band play in an arena because the the three to you know seven seconds of reverberation in an arena don't suit themselves uh, sonically to being able to hear all those nuances. It just turns into mush. That's why arena rock you know is slower beats per minute, big fat kick sounds, you know tons of snare or tons of reverb on the snare, you know that because you get you get time to let those uh, let the uh, the sound of the full envelope of the kick drum and the snare and all that stuff as time to breathe. So you'll generally see, you know, like really you know, a lot more intricate technical music will be in smaller venues with less reverberation. Um, and then he goes into how technology affects music. And it's a really, really interesting read. Like any touring musician or anybody that writes should definitely check it out. How, how music works. Well, it seems like, it seems like, uh, you know, that might influence the way that, you know, when you guys do an outdoor festival and, you know, that you can take that information or that idea to the rest of the guys and go, this is how we need to, you know, either adjust the set and what songs we choose or the way that it's played or whatever. Exactly. Dude, that is so true. And I didn't really put this together 
we couldn't kind of really figure it out. I mean, maybe we all kind of subconsciously knew it, but as I'm reading this book the last month, I'm like, oh, shit, that's why when we played Mayhem last year, we have the song called Tarnish Gluttony off of uh, Demonocracy. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, it's the slowest track. It's a really slow, you know, brooding, kind of really moody track. And traditionally, you know, when you're playing a metal festival, you got to play your fastest, most brutal stuff, right? And um, that, that, the response that we would get when we would play Tarnished Gluttony, it would be like that was when the set really started, even though it was like the third or fourth song. That's when people would really get into it. And we were like, wow, I, what is that about it? And now it makes perfect sense. It's probably when we actually started sounding good. You know, sound, like the actual physical uh, acoustics, you know, the notes carried out long enough and you could, you know, get the bass traveling into people's guts and, you know, actually make people, you know, actually sound good. I, you, you nailed it on the head, man. So does that influence the way you guys wrote this album in any way? Since that tour was one of the, was, wasn't it the most recent thing you'd done before writing this album? Yeah, yep, definitely. We came straight up in Mayhem into writing this. And um, I don't, you know, that information, like literally I didn't come into until about a month ago. Um, so it, I, I, if it did, it, uh, maybe it was just subconscious, you know? Yeah. I think we're all kind of sick of too that, you know, after a certain while you're like, okay, we've proven our technical ability, you know, like, are you just writing technical shit just to prove to other, you know, musicians that you're super awesome technical? I mean, that, if that's what it is, then that's, that's not doing it justice to the music. And I think with this one, we really wanted to like, you know, do justice to the songs, like make the the individual songs better and, a lot of times that means pulling back and playing less notes. Well, it was interesting to me, like, when you guys posted the first song off the album. Do you, do you recall the name of it? I don't recall yeah, the name. Son of Nihility. Okay, yeah. That's right. And, and it, it, it's funny because you guys are one of the biggest bands in the genre. You've got your diehard fans. I saw you guys play, like, a Metal Blade party at South By a couple of years ago, and people were, like, just... Over the moon over for each you. Other. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah, there's all these and then you you guys seem to attract trolls like nobody's business as well. <laughs> but then Dude, those, but, those kids, man. But you wow. post that song up and it was like one person at after another just like, Whoa, this is awesome. And you could tell these are people who are really just wanted to troll you, but they couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, man, that, that surprised the shit out of all of us, to be honest, man. When, when I post something up on, on the page, I, I, do, I do a lot of the posting on the page, and when I post something up there, like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, like, expecting the worst. I'm expecting people to attack my family, and, like, <laughs> like those people are, are free. Those kids are so ruthless, man. People will say, you know, shit that I'm like, if you said that to me, to my face at a show, like, I would not be able to contain myself from hitting you in the face. You know, but people will will be totally open to doing it online. Um, and so we, you know, when we put the new stuff up, we were like, well, I was like, I, you know, I'm expecting to get, you know, torn to shreds, basically, you know what I mean? But we don't care. We're immune to it. We don't give a shit, you know? We were blown away by the response that we got. And that we, I mean, that, like, I literally think that it's a, probably like a, a solid 50% troll rate. <laughs> that low and, and, yeah yeah legitimately <laughs> maybe even maybe even 60 70 percent of, of of uh of stuff that we post is going to get 60 percent 70 percent of comments are going to be brutal yeah to see like a 90 percent 95 percent that you know there's actually an article a kid wrote um called the um 
I'll see, I can email you the link to it or whatever if you want to throw it up under the thing, but it was called The Curse of Doom. This kid put it up there, and he did a really accurate job of uh, summarizing the plight of the band by choosing to leave that initial EP's deathcore style um, and how it, you know, essentially, um, you know, that you, there's there's been few releases in the history of, of metal anyways that polarized the crowd so hard that, um, you know, the initial job for a cowboy big fan base that they developed by, by writing that EP have just been essentially, you know, waiting each release. And I think that's how the trollism developed so hardcore is that with each successive release, the band would not um, show any signs of regressing back to the, to the old style. We just kept progressing and moving towards what the band wanted to be doing. And the fans just hated it. You know, he, he wrote this article essentially saying like what, whatever we did with this new song and this new material has won those people back. We can finally broke the curse, broke the curse of doom. That'd be awesome. Well, and it's, it, it's so weird. It's almost like it's, it's like a pre doom post doom right. <laughs> thing that happens yeah. where if I knew them before, blah, 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 this is cool. They shouldn't, I don't know why they don't do that anymore. And if you were kind of behind that curve, everything's fine. It's, you know, it's all good. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> I was behind that curve. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, man. Yeah. You know, and the cool, the cool thing about this is like, we honestly had no idea we, we would get that type of response. Um, I mean, this music that that's on the record is just literally what we wanted to make. Like we were trying to please anybody besides ourselves with this one. And we didn't, you know, there's a while that I didn't know if this album was even going to see the light of day, you know, just cause there were so many like, ish, you know, we had a couple, uh, like scheduling issues with people and stuff like that. And, and then we, we finally got it all together and we were like, yeah, awesome. We can finally have the record to get to our friends, you know, and like, Oh, make our friends ha you know, see what we've been up to and that they might dig it. And, uh, and I, I think actually it's, it's, I don't know. I got pretty high hopes for, for what it's going to do. Was there any concern that the band wouldn't survive the writing process or the, the, uh, you know, everything that happened post mayhem? Right. Um, you know, there was, um, it was kind of slow, the writing process, and, and I think that that was what was more difficult about it is that when you decide to take your time um, and really, you know, make something that everybody is, like, um, 100% on board with, it's it's different because you're used to this, like, high-pressure, got to have the songs within two months. We need all songs within two months. And then, you know, we got to be in the studio for five weeks. And then, you know, boom, 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 then you got to start the tours. And, and we really decided to to be like, no, let's, we want to make sure that the music is awesome. And I think doing that is difficult um, because um, it seems to go forever. It just seemed to take so long. But that's know, Al's like, fault, ah. right? <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's Al's fault. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so was it like a, uh, an economics thing or was it just a, uh, you know, can we get the money to last long enough to record the album, that sort of thing? Or was it the label? Will they even like stick with us or, or uh, what or just was taking a deep breath and yeah. trying to, trying to let it ride. Or will the, uh, all the guys in the band stay on board with the direction that things seem to be going, that sort of thing? Sure. Um, you know, a lot of it I think was, was to be like, all right, is this, you know, tough to find that direction almost, I think, um, that was some of the, some of the, uh, the more trying, I don't want to say trying, it was just like, you know, Al, Al and Tony did the bulk of the writing, um, just because, you know, they lived together in a, um, 
like a one-bedroom place in, in Boston, at least during the writing of this. They all moved up to New Hampshire now. But during the writing process, they lived in like a really small, like, I mean, it must have been like 400 square feet, like, place. And I think they had bunk beds or something. I never made it out there. But Whoa. it was like a really close quarters for them. It just kind of made sense that, that two of the members are in the same place. You know, they should dish music together. Yeah, 400 um, square feet. I mean, like, the, the bench press takes up most of that space. <laughs> yeah, they had to go to Planet Gym or uh, Planet Fitness. <laughs> Planet Fitness. That they were grunting too loud. <laughs> uh, so they wrote the stuff, and then, you know, they'd email. So we would email stuff, you know, which is kind of what we did for Demon Act 2. You'd email, they'd email us the tracks. So we'd be like, oh, you know, I don't know if I'm feeling that, or I don't know if I like that, or, you know, like this this whole section, I don't like how it goes into that. So, um We'd kind of like spend a lot of time doing that and then figuring out the drummer thing. Um, it was actually really easy once we knew who we wanted, but there was a period there where you're like, who are we going to get to the drums? You know, are we going to try to find a, a permanent studio guy? Or, I mean, a, a permanent replacement or do we just, you know, cause we knew if we, if we try to find a permanent guy, it would delay the process even further. So we're like, well, let's just come up with a list of guys that would be like our, our dream session players that, you know, you know, we're not going to try to get these guys to join the band, but if they would do the record, we'd be blown away. And then, so that took a long time. And then finally found Danny Walker when everybody instantly was like, yeah, Danny Walker, that's perfect. And he's perfect for this material. So it was, uh, you know, it was, like, it was just felt like a long process to get the whole thing out. And then you're like, uh, picking the release date. And then like, it's that patience thing, you know, where you're like, man, I just want to show people this shit now, but you got to, you know, develop that patience and be like, it's, it'll come in time. And, now it's finally here and we're all stoked. Is there like when when everybody living separate? I mean, it's not like is there like ever like a, a you know, hey, come on, guys, just let's all move to 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 Colorado or something, you know? Right, right, yeah. I think they did that once. They got everybody to move to Arizona and move in a single house. And um, I think that's a I don't think that's a good idea when you have like you know eight month nine month touring schedules. I think you're just gonna you we spend enough time I mean, you spend so much time with each other in such close spaces on the road all year long that the last thing you really want to do is when you get home is to you know wake up and see that person when you're making breakfast but, but you're right you're writing angry music so i mean you know what better to really get the, the juices flowing than you know being waking up and having to eat cereal yeah, in front of that, that guy that again, interview yeah. would be like you know we'd be like hey so you wrote the, like the your angriest music ever and you'd be like yeah because fuck the other guys in the band that's why <laughs> i fucking hate these people man. <laughs> i can't believe i have to go play these songs with these guys for two years <laughs> but you that's guys awesome. could be in like i I don't know down the street true true yeah, yeah. you know i think uh, um i think that's actually a testament to the technology um that's available for us today the ability that you can and anybody you know all of us have an interface little two-channel interface you can rec- record your ideas um put the uh put the thought export this export the idea to an mp3 and send it to them in the same time it would be to be like hey man almost probably in faster time then if I were to be like, hey, I'm going to drive over to your house or drive over to my house and I'll show you this idea, I can just email it and you got it, you know? And I think we kind of all really enjoy, like, the respective places that we live. I'm in Denver and, you know, there's things that are, that are legal here that if I were to move to Massachusetts or Arizona, 
that you know wouldn't be okay for me to do. Right? All right. <laughs> yeah. But and that isn't enough to convince the other guy. I mean, how That's could they? That's enough to convince right? me. How could they like where they live? A Boston, B four hundred square feet, C bunk bed. You know, none of that sounds convincing to me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think I think Colorado's a place, man. I think yeah. we should all move here. We're centrally located, you know, because sometimes there's this thing where you know a lot of tours either start in L.A. or New York, right? Mm-hmm. So you're if you're if the tour starts in New York and you live in Boston, hey, not too bad, you know, four hours. But if you live in Boston and the tour starts, uh, the tour starts in L.A., you know, then you have a, a forty-hour trek, you know, just to start the tour, and then it's usually going to end in L.A. as well. Then you got a forty-hour trek back. So you know, the way I see it, Colorado, we're right smack dab in the middle of the country. No matter where we start, we're halfway there. No, wherever you start, you're far away from it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, Yeah, but you're high, so it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Good times, man. Good times. We are super excited for this album. Seriously, man. And it's a, yeah, I'm stoked to see just the responses, like we said, from the first song that we've heard man and it's uh it's definitely uh, gonna be interesting when you turn the tapes over to metal blade does does somebody call you up and go oh shit yeah oh shit (laughs) oh shit Um, yeah 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 i I think we had some pretty cool response um there was some things where even you know like even specifically there were some things where we were like uh they're gonna be cool with this like for example the bass like um you know with previous releases and, and on metal in a lot of cases you just don't hear the bass either a that 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 present in the mix or b you know having you know a clean tone. A lot of times it'll have like sans amp or distortion on it, you know, to help it blend better or whatever. Um, so that was even one of the things too that we were like, hey, they backed it, they were cool with it. They were like, yeah, sounds awesome. So and you know we've had a couple of guys, um, you know Vince, right? Yeah, Vince has been super cool this whole time, and when he heard it and throughout this whole process, he's like. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna push this really hard, you guys, because I I really think this record is awesome and you know it deserves it. And we were like, wow, man, thanks. You know, it means a lot to have your label back you, you know, and really believe in it, and not just like, hey, we're gonna push it because we're invested in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, they really care. They like it, and you know, and, uh, we're just happy as shit that everybody's is digging the stuff, man. It, it's like it it's fulfilling enough to make it to make something and have it come out to where you're happy with it as an artist. You're like, man, no matter what anybody says, I love this record, and I, we put our hearts and souls into it, and and it, we're totally 100% satisfied with it. And then there's this, like, you know, turbo boost icing on the cake when when people reciprocate it, and when the fans, especially the old fans that, you know, pretty much had written us off, that they're backing it, you know, it seems that... Um, you know, critics and, and, and bloggers and the like are backing it. And it's awesome, man. We're we're seriously grateful that everybody is, is digging the stuff. Well, all those kids are logging back into MySpace now anyway. So it's all, it's all good. So, yeah, it's, it's, it all comes full circle, man. Yeah, we're huge on MySpace. <laughs> uh, dude, no, seriously, man. It's, it's can't wait to hear the rest of the album. And uh, I, th- I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great, man. You guys got a music video lined up? Do you know what song? You know what? Yeah, I've been I've been talking. I was just talking with Johnny about that last night, and I'm emailing our guy. Um, the guy that does our videos is in uh, is in Copenhagen. His name's Michael Panduro, and uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, check out the last video he did for Tarnished Gluttony. 
Um, it's pr- it's pretty hardcore. It's definitely not safe for work. Um, <laughs> this guy is uh, he's a genius, man. I mean, his uh, it's like the most aesthetically beautiful uh, camera work and uh, uh, cinematography out of you know, almost anybody I've seen in metal. And he does it this really cool thing. He's very anti, you know. Let's film the band in a warehouse being brutal, you know. <laughs> He's he's like he's those are my favorite really though. Cool. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, hey man, you can put up ninety eight percent of videos and you're gonna you're gonna have yeah, a right. warehouse, you know. Um, so he doesn't. He's like, I don't want. He does no band footage, and he and we really kind of give him artistic uh, direction, artistic freedom. Let him do you know kind of whatever he wants to see fit. We don't inter- interfere with it, and he just comes out with these masterpieces. He did a video for um, my other band, Cephala Carnage, called Orworm. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's that guy. So, um, so I just talked to him last night, and we're like, "Hey, you know, I sent him the record, and we let him pick the song that he likes, you know, and and just run with it that way, which is really cool. It, I think it lends to why the videos end up coming out so good. Which song is it going to be? I hope it's some. I hope it's the single. Of okay, the Hillity. Yeah, I think it's the moody. I think it's probably the moodiest track on the record. And um, it seems to be like he does better with the moodier stuff. But that song is actually like the second part of a two-part song. The, the record opens up with a track called uh, Eat, Eating the Visions of God, and then it transitions through this cool, cool, weird little bass thing into um, the Son of Nihility. The song, if he picks either one of those songs, I'll be stoked. But we, we really are going to let him pick, pick the song. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I figured that opening to Son of Nihility was not standalone. It's a, it sounded right. like it fit into something else when yeah, I first heard yeah. it. it. It comes out of this whole other thing, so the whole thing total. And I was like, man, it'd be cool if we could have released the whole thing, but you can't release a twelve-minute, you know, single. <laughs> you know what's really nice? <laughs> Unless I you're deaf, heaven. You know what mm-hmm. I I think it was really nice, especially from like a band member's perspective about not doing a band in the warehouse video. Is if you see uh, the final edit and you're barely in the video, you got like re- you got to get really nervous about your job security all of a sudden, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, totally, man. I remember watching that. I was just watching the new Slipknot video, thinking that same thing. I'm like, oh, so they're not going to show these dudes at all? Yeah. Like the, new, the, new, the new guys? Yeah. I, I got what that director was doing, but yeah, that's funny, man. I, you always get that the cuts back, and you're like, oh, man. We got like two little clips, man. Like these guys don't like me. Yeah, I I think that like some of the world's w- most uninspired bad tattoos on metal dudes are come from people going. Maybe if I get this badass tattoo, I'll get in the next <laughs> video more. But it never that's works out that gonna, way. That's how I'm going to get all my tattoos from now on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this will look great in a warehouse, <laughs> or against a brick wall, or maybe on some train tracks or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll look good under like you know very dark lighting except some strobe <laughs> and it's got to be brutal so, uh, dude one brutal. last question so is danny walker in or is he just for the album he's um he is basically uh that, that's a really cool story man he he like got so into the material we were we were super stoked on it because yeah i mean you do session work sometimes you're like you know, you pretend to like the material just so you can get through it. You know, but I think he actually dug, dug the stuff. And um, and same thing, we let him kind of have control over what he wanted to write drum wise. So we we talked, and he's he's like, hey, if I can fit fit the scheduling in, he's like, if it works, I'm totally down. So we were like, awesome. So he's 
he's got his band Intronaut, which is his main gig, yeah. and uh, we love Intronaut, and I want to see that band do really well, so we're not going to try to step on any toes or anything, but it'll be really cool to be able to present this material with him playing it. Yeah, I was going to say, the hard part is he's like in 10 bands or something like that, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's a whore for sure. So yeah. should uh, uh, aspiring drummers for Job for a Cowboy start you know, doing their playthrough videos now and send them to your way? I mean, I think that you should always be, you know, always be doing that. You know, even even if there's existing members, <laughs> you never know. It's, it's a very volatile uh, scene, you know. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, especially if you're shacked up in a 400 square foot apartment <laughs> and always disagree with the guy. <laughs> yeah, especially with like how big Tony is. Like I'm like, man, Al had to have been biding the time of, like this very you know al's probably could be probably fit two of al inside of tony so he was probably taking up a lot of space in that apartment it looks good in the ikea catalog but in real life it's not that great <laughs> that's awesome oh yeah well, dude, we appreciate you taking the time, dude. I can't we, wait to hear the rest of the album, man. We gotta stay in touch because I'm telling you, th- th- I'd love to do like a story time because I bet you this guy's <laughs> got some stories, man. It's so great. Yeah, I'm down, man. This is a lot of fun, you guys. Uh, hell yeah, dude. Get, get my uh, email or whatever from Vince, and anytime you guys want to do anything, I'm way down. Sounds good, man. New record comes out uh, November 11th in the states. Sun Eater is the name of it. Job for a cowboy. Week Thank one Nick. sales goal. Uh, I would love to break ten thousand. Ten thousand. That's 10, the number. Yeah. All right. Over under. Help us do it, people. Help us do it.
today.
So I think what Axel said about this album is totally spot on. Um, he just, gave it a good review, dude. Was it was it a five out of five horns, man? Something. I mean, it is. Yeah, you're gonna need a towel. Seriously, so, it's that fucking good. Okay, and and all right, is this is this surgical steel good? I personally think it is surgical steel good. They wow. have done what only one other band in the history of metal has done carcass and pulled off possibly the best record of the year wow. 19 years later after slaughter of the soul That's holy fucking ass. shit I, i'm looking forward to hearing it it's good dude death in the labyrinth is the name of that song right there and it's they got a video out for that one already uh at war with reality is a record obviously and we're all gonna jizz all over it so you know what are you gonna do i think it seems like they've figured out how to get nothing but goodwill from everybody like nobody was hoping for them to fail. You know what I mean? Nobody was looking forward to trolling a new At The Gates album. But I'll tell you, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting it to fail, just like a lot of people were expecting the but Carcass album to fail. they were all hoping they w- it wouldn't. Well, yeah, and then I mean... you look at that, the, the opposite of the job for a cowboy, it's like, I got the distinct feeling that people were hoping it would fail. Really? You think so? Yes. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't... Well, I mean, I think that's also part of the, um, the metal elite you know that the who that is i mean slaughter of the soul is you know at the gates is core to the people that you know hit that album at a certain time you know yeah it's like woodstock though like those people are nowhere to be found in 1992 but i mean i think that 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 record is so integral to so many people mm-hmm. and so integral to so many scenes that came out of it i mean without that record you wouldn't have job for a cowboy right. so i think you're going to get that kind of goodwill to a band like that Versus somebody like Job for a Cowboy, who they think destroyed the scene. You know, a lot of people think oh. that they're one of the bands that that did away with it. You know, because of MySpace, because yeah. of this, because of that, or whatever. You know, and I and I don't, I've never believed that was true. I still think Doom is a, such a like awesome EP, and they've done. A, they've, you describe people like that, and all of a sudden, I get optimistic about Ebola. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> just uh, well, get rid of them. We're all leaking out of it. We all want Walking Dead anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, totally. a, that's a, I just want an excuse to use my shotgun. That's all. <laughs> as long as it just turns out that it's airborne only if you're stupid, you know? <laughs> then I'm cool with it. What? Only if you're breathing. That's, <laughs> yeah. That sounds going to work. Great. All right. Story time with Stavros. We got to talk to our friend Stavros Giannopoulos, and he's going to tell us another story. Apparently, this is a prequel to one of the stories, like the original thing that 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 brought him into the show. And and just so you know, I've been spinning Atlas Moth at home like pretty pretty constantly lately. So everybody, pick up Atlas Moth. All right, Stavros Giannopoulos. Inspired by true events, songs, or some bullshit he just thought up. Stavros Giannopoulos of the Atlas Moth will weave tales of intrigue that may shock you, they may surprise you, or they may just make you feel sick to your stomach. The names may have been changed to protect the guilty, but probably not. Prepare yourself for story time with Stavros. We'll save the candid one. I have a couple New Orleans stories. Now, okay, so the first one is the prequel to Invaders. Now, I totally spaced on the fact that this happened the day before the other story I told you. And it was brought up to me at rehearsal the other day because like, uh, all the dudes were like, oh yeah, you're doing a little suck thing. But they all read the email, <laughs> our email. So like, they're hip to what's going on in my life. You know, like they're like, so what are you going to do the metal suck thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they're so on top of my shit. It's not even funny. So this happened the day before Beetle like jogged my memory of this. This is uh, also a thing that I realized is that, um, every time we've toured with Dark Castle, it has been a shit show. Like, without a doubt, 
So we were in New Orleans, and it's the first time. This is the first time I ever played New Orleans, and we had a day off in New Orleans, which is now like a, a, it's totally illegal in the Atlas Moth world. We don't allow days off in New Orleans anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyone that fucking calls Vegas Sin City clearly has never spent more than twenty four hours in New Orleans mm-hmm. because New Orleans is Vegas in like fucking a way worse part of the country. <laughs> there's not, not many reasons to go down there aside from like total debauchery <laughs> so um, we're in New Orleans we're at Dark Castle we meet up with Zach from Goat Whore, the drummer and we're like yo dude we want to eat some like real gumbo cause like out over fucking tourists and we go and he takes this place called Coops it's like where all the locals go to eat gumbo and seafood and shit so we all get this uh gumbo with extra seafood in it. All of us get it. And then after we crush this fucking gumbo, uh, Zach takes us out on Bourbon Street and we start drinking those booze Slurpees. Oh. For like hours. It's like <laughs> 1 p.m., dude. Like, <laughs> it's awful. We are just fucking shit-faced by like two, you know. And we wind up going, I wind up falling asleep. Um, in the in the van. They're driving around all drunk all over fucking New Orleans doing God knows what my body. so i remember at one point waking up and we're crashing at this dude's house i don't remember his name but he had an eagle tattooed on his forehead whoa literally an eagle tattooed right in the fucking middle of his forehead it was crazy shit i go and take a piss i think i go back out to the van because they're all drinking inside more and i'm like a total pussy and i'm out of this so i wake up probably like 6 a.m and I'm in the fucking van. I'm fully clothed, like fucking total shit show. And my stomach is ready to explode. I'm talking like, this is going to be bad news. Like, <laughs> I'm going to shit my pants if I don't find a bathroom. So I get up and I try to, like, easily remember where this house is that we're crashing at. <laughs> so I'm, like, walking down the street, like, looking down fucking driveways, trying to remember what the fucking house looks like. <laughs> Finally, I see a fucking house door swing open, and our old drummer Tony walks out. And I'm like, "Thank God!" So I run up to the fucking house. Tony looks like he just was like struck by lightning or something. He's like shaking and sweaty, and I don't know what the fuck's going on. He can barely fucking like put a sentence together. And I'm like, "Dude, I need to go to the back. Where's the fucking bathroom place?" And he's like. Dude, you don't want to go in there. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, no, dude. I want to go in there, like right fucking now. Like, where the fuck is that? He's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm like, dude, get the fuck out of my way. So I fucking run in this fucking house. There is like an ungodly fight happening between a guy and a girl behind closed doors. Behind, like in one of the bedrooms. Like I'm talking like horrific sounding. And normally. I would probably be like, oh, this is probably not my place to be. On this particular morning, it was obviously where I needed to be. So I run inside. I run to the bathroom, and I just destroy it. I'm, like, die on the toilet. I'm, like, throwing up into the sink while just my guts are falling out of the toilet on the other end. So I get up. Andrew is sleeping on the couch, and he's, like, kind of, like, waking up, like, what the fuck is going on? All of a sudden eagle forehead pops out of a fucking bedroom and he's covered in blood and I'm like what the fuck is going on 
And he's like, my girlfriend got home from work at 6 a.m. And she started freaking out. And she fucking threw this thing at me. It was like, I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I'm like hungover. There is like an oil spill in your bathroom. Fucking, <laughs> fucking dying here. I don't even know what's going on. I walk out. And all of a sudden, I see Beetle doing the same thing that I was doing 20 minutes earlier. Walk, trying to find out where the fuck we were sleeping. He runs past me. He's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man. There. Well, he runs and he goes to the bathroom. Fucking Andrew stumbles out. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck is happening? And he's like, well, dude, we got back here. We drank a bottle of Crown Royal. Then we opened up another bottle of Crown Royal. And then I went to bed because fuck all that. I was drunk. And like, I don't know, 25 minutes, a half hour ago, this girl comes in the house, which is this eagle head girlfriend and he's like dude this girl's so sweet she like puts a blanket on me and like tucks in my fucking feet and stuff i was like oh that's really sweet of you then proceeds to go into the bedroom and start calling her boyfriend a faggot which mind you i don't use that word lightly just for the fucking reference of the story <laughs> but starts calling her boyfriend a faggot because she comes home from work and tony is asleep in the bed with Eaglehead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, what the fuck? He's like, literally, he doesn't even, he can't even recall what just happened 20 minutes before this. Like him getting called a faggot with Eaglehead in the bed with him. Like, it's like, he doesn't even remember this shit. That's how drunk he still is. Beatles in the bathroom fucking following up my encore. Like, I'm fucking, we're all just dying. Uh, we're like, we need to get the fuck out of here, guys. Um, we all proceed to go to the bathroom because all of us have terrible stomachs at this point from the uh, concoction of a double seafood gumbo and booze slurpees on Bourbon Street. <laughs> and we're all like, yo, let's just get the fuck out of here. New Orleans devil, let's fuck go. So we start running out of the house, all of us, and all of a sudden, I forgot who it was. It's like, wait a minute, dude. What about Dark Castle? we can't leave Dark Castle here alone, you know? <laughs> like, you know, like, no man left behind. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'll go back in. They're still, the, the eagle head and his girlfriend are still freaking out on each other. And I, like, you know, slide by the bedroom. I go to this guest bedroom where Dark Castle is sleeping. I knock on the door, and I'm like, Stevie, like, we got to go, dude. Like, things are fucked up here. And she opens the door like an inch, right? And she's like, Dude, listen, just just go, just go. We'll be we'll be behind you. And I'm like, dude, listen, like there's fucked up shit going on here. I don't know, like some domestic abuse scenario. Like this is fucked up. <laughs> we need to get the fuck out of here. She goes, no, you don't understand. And she opened up the bedroom door, and Rob from Dark Castle is halfway off the bed in like this puddle of puke. That is just like, it's like encompassing the entire floor. There's like hairs in it, like half of his body is in it. And then I was like, uh, all right, cool. I'll see you guys in Florida. <laughs> and I just split. Monster episode. Dude. Everybody brought it. Dude. Uh, I just 
Man, I love hearing Stavros' voice. I really do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's and be good. Nick was great. Total surprise. I, I don't know. I he, uh, yes. I I, mean, I would say I I, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. You never know what to expect. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's always fun to find a dude who gets it right. Right. And he's one of those guys that definitely gets it and understands and right is, is totally in on it. So yeah. And Vince like is that. always great. And Vince, dude. Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah. And I still don't know what the answer is to this album sales thing. I think we're all fucked. Oh no. I mean, albums are a loss leader. No, and that's just all there is to it. But what sucks is is like you said, that means none of us are going to be making any money soon. Yeah. Which is okay. No. No, it's not. I want to. I'm, I'm working radio too. I want to. I, I still want to. I, I like money. There are 15 people still working in radio. Yeah, you know, I'm one of them, do? dude. I don't want to be. I don't want it to be 14 <laughs> soon enough, right? Music is now a hobby for everybody. Oh. And yes, that's your takeaway from this episode of the Metal Sucks Podcast. <laughs> be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, and we'll have a bright, sunny, uh, <laughs> sunny dis- disposition for you every single week. And uh, it's going to be a great outlook. Make sure that you uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and you give us five stars. Tell us we suck. If you're on Stitcher or however you get your podcast, uh, look for us. Look for Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, you might be able to just find it. And, of course, you can find it every Monday at MetalSucks.net. Yeah, leave your message on SpeakPipe. Yep, that's a pretty cool little feature. I like that. Everybody else is hijacking it now, so that's fun. You are at Bearded Ape. I am at Bearded Ape on the Twitter box. Mm-hmm. And I you am are. at Godless Speaks. And uh, make sure you friend us. Uh, I talk a lot of shit about Star Wars and uh, post a lot of crap from porn stars, which is awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I did. I never knew that I could get so many titties in my in my, in my feed that way. The internet is awesome. It, it really is. It makes my life a lot better. <laughs> you had retweeted somebody on Titty Tuesday, and you I was may like, "Not be able to keep your career, <laughs> but you can get free porn." You know. <laughs> If that, I just need to bridge the two. That's all. Oblada. <laughs> is it karma? Or wait, what is that? No. What is that called? Eh, it's the yin and the yang. Something like that, dude. Give and take. <laughs> it's all good. All right. That does it for another episode of the Metal Sucks Podcast. Mm-hmm.